0: We do have a new series that we are starting today. Over the next five weeks, we are going to be walking through um, the parables of Jesus. We're going to walk through um, a parable each week and just share the the, the heart, share the, the what the purpose is, um, and talk about it. The name of the series is called "Help Me Understand." Help me understand. I think that that's what Jesus is actually trying to do with his parables. If you don't know what a parable is, it's a simply um, it's a story. Um, that God is, uh, that Jesus was using in his time. He used parables a lot. And he, what he's doing is he's using a simple story to try to make a, a, a spiritual understanding about what is happening. It's a, um, it's a, yeah, that's it. it that's, I got it right. Don't question me. I'm just kidding. Um, but so that's what we're gonna be doing in the next few weeks is going through parables and just learning about what Jesus's message in those parables are. And so today we are starting with um, one of, if not the most popular, most well-known parables of all time. Um, it goes beyond the church and the, the name of it is, is the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you've been in church at any amount of time, you've probably heard this story. And, um, and I hope that it is, uh, we, we take something away from it this morning. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10. Verse 25, and I'm just going to start reading, and it's going to be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. And it says this, and it says, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And he said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, Well, who is my neighbor? And Jesus replied, A man man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And now by chance, a priest was going down the road, and he saw him, and he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And when he went to him, he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. I'm going to pray for us one more time as we jump in this morning. Jesus, we just thank you that you are a, you are a God that wants to um, help us understand. Lord, I pray that you would open our ears this morning. Lord, let us, let us hear, let us see, let us experience, and let us know you better than when we came in, Lord. God, I pray that you use this time. We worship you, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen, amen. Well, I, I have a love-hate relationship with reading. Um, there's some readers out there I'm sure some of you guys love to read. I have a love-hate relationship with it. Um, I, I, love, I love buying new books. Who likes to buy new books? Uh, who remembers Who remembers in, in, in elementary school when um, we had things called book fairs? Do they still do those? I hope they do. We had book fairs and I remember um, as a little elementary Mikey year old size um, guy was going up to my parents and saying I can I get $10? I want to go buy books. And I'd go buy like Clifford, the big red dog. And I would just buy books. I just loved buying new books. Um, Morgan, uh, my wife knows this about me as like a couple books have shown up over the past couple weeks. She's like, uh, you keep getting more books in Amazon. Like what's going on? And it's just, it's just, I love buying books. I love, I love starting a new book. Like who, who enjoys like the, just opening a brand new book and the smell of it and then just the feel of it. And, and it's just great. And I love starting new books, but but I hate finishing them. <laughs> like, I'm just the worst at finishing books. Like, I love reading the first four chapters of a book. And then by that time, I'm like, ah, I'm done. I'm gonna, I'm gonna get a new book. Uh, I got so many. I got books all in my office all over. And I'm like, I've read like four of them or whatever. And, and I, just, I just have this love-hate relationship with books and with reading. And, and I wanted to share with you guys at the beginning of this sermon, I just wanted to share with you uh, one of my favorite books. Um, one that I've read or I've looked at and I've, I've just kind of been, um, I've, I've gone through this book a lot, probably a dozen times or so. And um, one of my favorite books, and this book is one of those kinds, it's like a page turner. Um, like you just are like, you're just anxious. Like you're looking, you're, 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 you're on the, this page, but you're just anxious to get to the next page because you want to see what's going on or what's about to happen. And, and, and this book is, is that for me. And so this is my one of my favorite books. Where's Waldo? Yes, it is a picture book. Do not judge me, but I love Where's Waldo. I love, I, I mean, like I love the, the, the anxiety of what it is all about and that there's just so much stuff. Like who gets anxious looking, go to this next page. Who, who, who gets anxious just looking at that page like that? Yeah, I, that, that, that page just kind of, but I love it. I love looking at it. I know the point of the book is to find Waldo, right? Um, what I love about it is, is that once you find Waldo, go ahead and go to the next one. There's Waldo. I know some of you are probably wondering, there's Waldo. But once you find Waldo, you can never not see him again on that page, right? Who, who, who knows that? Like, if you've ever looked at a Where's Waldo book, you know that once you find Waldo, you're like, okay, I found him. Fantastic. Now i got to start finding his hat and his like, staff and his you know, shoes and the old man that's dressed like Waldo and all the things. But once you find Waldo, the rest of the page just kind of is like, okay, I get it. I found Waldo and we're moving on. So, so why am I telling you this story? Why am I telling you or why am I talking to you about the fact that I love Waldo? And it's for this purpose is that I feel like the Bible when read, the most effective way to read the Bible and to read Scripture is to find Jesus in the midst of it. That when we find Jesus in the midst of the Scripture, when we find Jesus, wherever it is, if it's Moses, then you're like, okay, Moses parted, you know, Moses did all that, but Jesus was with him as well because Jesus was from the beginning in all times. And so, you know, Jesus is in that midst too. You, Where is Jesus in the midst of the scripture. And everything else about scripture begins to, to make sense. It begins to unravel. You begin to kind of have a perspective. And so I wanted to start with this idea of Walda because we've, we've, we start this, this sermon series on, on the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan is well known across, across the globe. Honestly, like this is a, one of the most popular um, Christian stories. Whether, whether you've been in church or not, you've, you've probably heard of the Good Samaritan. We've got, we've got organizations, we've got um, hospitals, um, elderly homes. We've got not-for-profit organizations that are built out of this concept of the Good Samaritan. It's even in the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. That, the, that a good Samaritan made it into the dictionary. It's a, it's a person who is generous in helping someone in distress. The good Samaritan is this very, very well known. It's just, a, it's just a very common term. It even has a law. I didn't know this until I was looking at it. Did y'all know there's a good Samaritan law um, that if you as a good Samaritan, I'm just gonna read it because it's really, it's a law providing immunity from liability to a good Samaritan's who negligent administration of aid causes injury. Basically, meaning if, they, if you're a good Samaritan and, and the world is actually encouraging us to be good Samaritans, to say, hey, if you see someone in need or in help, then and you apply aid to that person, and for whatever reason, um, not intentionally, there's a lot of regulations, but. Um, this isn't a get out of jail free card, but it's like a, um, if, if you're applying aid and it, something goes wrong and it actually is worse and there's actually a protection for you for at least trying to be a good Samaritan. Like that's, the, the good Samaritan is so well known, so well known across the world. And I think this morning I want us to read this story again. But what I want us to do is I want us to find Jesus in the midst of it. I want to find where Jesus is in this Good Samaritan and watch the rest of the story begin to unravel from there. And so in verse 25, what's happening is is that um, a lawyer stood up, stands up in the midst of this conversation. He wants to test Jesus. He wants to test Jesus. So he says, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus said to him, well, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the lawyer responds, the lawyer responds because the lawyer is, is, he he knows the law. He knows what the law is. And so the the lawyer responds, he says, You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, and with all of your strength, with all your mind and your your neighbor as yourself. So the lawyer is responding to Jesus saying, "I, I know the law. The law says that, that, the, way that um, the way that I love God, the way that I, that, is that I just have to love him. I gotta love him, I gotta love him with my mind, my strength, my will, all those things, and I gotta love my neighbor as myself. And, and Jesus' response to this man is, great, go do that. Go do that. If you can do that, then you will have eternal life. If you can, if you can be perfect in abiding by those laws, then you will have eternal life. You'll have no need for a savior. But Jesus, but the lawyer knows, like the lawyer's smart, like the lawyer gets it. He knows what's going on. So he knows that, um, he knows that, that what Jesus is saying is actually impossible. So the lawyer's trying to justify himself. Um, Jump down a couple of verses um. it's the lawyer responds to Jesus and he's like, but, but who is my neighbor? You ever done that where you just ask a question and then like they give you the response, they give you the answer. and You're like, ah oh, yeah, but, but clarify that a little bit more. Make it a little bit easier for me to do. And so the lawyer is saying, who is my neighbor? Is my neighbor really anyone or is my neighbor like more like the people that are around me and the people that are next to me and the people that are close to me? Are those my neighbors? Are those the ones that I'm supposed to love? He's trying to justify himself because he knows that what Jesus is saying is, is impossible. It's an impossible task to do. And so he's saying, who really is my neighbor? And this is where Jesus jumps into the parable. I, start, I set it up this way to say that, that we have to understand that this is, this is the response that Jesus has to this question of, of who, how, do I, how do I inherit eternal life? This is one of those questions that I think the, our world is asking. They're asking, they're saying, hey, how do I make my life worthwhile? Whether they realize it or not, they're saying, how do I make, because what we believe is, is that for your life to be worthwhile, that it'd be living for something greater than us, which is Jesus. That when we, when we, are, in the, when we are in the relationship with Jesus, then we are not living, we're, we're living for something greater. And so people are asking this question of what's the purpose of life? What's the, what's the meaning? What's the, and, and, and this man is asking, how do, I, how do I inherit eternal life? How do I get the goal that everyone is after, which is eternal life? How do I get it? And this is when Jesus steps into the parable. And he says, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and he fell among robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. And now by chance a priest was going down the road. And when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place, he saw him and passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, he came to where the man was and he had compassion. And he went to him and bound him up, his wounds pouring oil and wine. And then he set him on his animal. I love how Jesus sets this story because it's when we say lawyer, I want us to think that Lawyer is not like a, a family a family lawyer, or like this lawyer's job is to like be a defense attorney or a prosecuting attorney or anything like that. When they say lawyer in this time, what they're referring to is he is, he is the lawyer that justifies that the law is accurate, that the law is in fact bigger and greater and and more powerful than anything else. And so when Jesus is setting up this story he he, is, he isn't he's not skipping words, like he says, the first person is the priest and then the Levite and the lawyer hears these words, hears these titles and he's immediately like, wait, those are my guys. Those are my guys. Those are the guys that that I'm trying to defend. Those are my guys that I, my job is to defend that the law that they abide by, the law that they walk along is right and is accurate. And Jesus is saying, they were the bad guys. (laughs) And the story, like, they were the bad guys. And, but then there was this Samaritan. There was a Samaritan that, that came. And, and, and the Samaritan came and bandaged up this man and, and gave oil and wine. And, and, the, and, and the guys, like, the, the Samaritans are our enemies. The Samaritans are the, the, Samaritans are, are the half-breeds. They're the ones that, that we, don't even, we don't even let come into our worship area. We don't, we don't want the Samaritans. And yet the Samaritan shows up and is the hero of the story. He's the one that's the hero of the story and and the lawyer is confused. But my fear for us this morning is, is that we walk away this morning, we leave today and the message we hear is, is I need to be a good Samaritan. I need to be go, I need to go and be a good Samaritan. I need to go and be a better Samaritan. I need to I need to go and and care and and love and 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 and, and because I know that when I do that that's what's going to that's what's going to bring me to eternal life. Cuz that's what Jesus said. That's how he's explaining it to this guy. He's explaining to this guy like if you want to have eternal life, if you want to basically if you want to be in my family, if you want to be a Christian, then what you need to do is go be a good Samaritan. And that's how we read it sometimes. But, but here's what I want us to say. Here's what I want to say is that that's absolutely not true. Because we've got to find Waldo in the story. We've got to find Jesus in the story. And if, if Jesus is saying, this is how you have eternal life, then it's not that we, that Jesus isn't saying to this man, go be, go do better. Go try better. Go Go be nicer. Jesus is saying that, no, this isn't actually an impossible task. This is an absolutely impossible task that I've given you. I've given you a task that you can't, you can't do. And this isn't, this isn't um, abnormal for Jesus either. Remember in John 3, John 3, Jesus is sitting in front of Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a high religious leader. He's a, he's a priest. He's, he, he, is, he is a religious leader, and he's sitting in front of Nicodemus, and Nicodemus says, How can I inherit the kingdom of God? And what is Jesus' response to him? You must be born again. You must be born again. Jesus takes two words that are just absolutely have never in the history of man have ever been put next to each other. And he puts them next to each other and saying, you've got to be born again. He gave them an impossible task because Jesus is saying, you've got to understand that there's actually something deeper going on here. There's something deeper. There's something bigger going on here. John 6, Jesus is preaching again in the synagogues. He's teaching, he's teaching the people how to have eternal life, how to, have, how, to, how to inherit the kingdom of God. And again, he says to this group, similar to this, he says, if you want to inherit the kingdom of God, then you must eat my flesh and drink my blood. And then he, and he takes off. And it's impossible for two reasons. One, I don't... We don't eat humans. Like, that's just not right. That's not, that, that's not the right one. And two is he left. Like, he actually ran. Is this like a game of cat and mouse? Like, do we come after you? Like, I mean, he didn't have any explanation about like, oh, this is actually representation of the bread and the, the wine. Later on, I'll talk about it. But no, he just, he just puts it out there. Because Jesus is trying to say to us, hey, here's how you, and this is how you inherit eternal life. It is you understand who the good Samaritan is. If you understand who the good Samaritan is, if you understand that that the good Samaritan was was hated by his people, that came into a situation and he came into a situation that he was actually absolutely innocent of. There was no blemish on him when he came into the situation. He's not the one that beat this man. He's not the one that caused any harm to this man. He showed up. He got down from his high place. He picked up this man, healed him, and put him in the place that the, man, that the good Samaritan was originally in. Who does this sound like? This sounds like Jesus. This is Jesus. Jesus is actually the good Samaritan. Jesus isn't saying to this lawyer, hey, you need to, you need to abide by the law more he's saying, hey, the ones that the the priests and the Levites that are are supposed to be perfect in abiding by the law, they are the ones that walked by this man. They're the bad guys in the situation because there's got to be another one to come. There's got to be a savior that comes that says, hey, I'm actually here now. I'm actually here now and I'm the one that's supposed to rescue you. I'm supposed to be the one that saves you. I'm I'm the one that gets off of my, I'm the one that comes down from my high status. I come down and I meet you and I bandage you up and I pour oil and wine and I save you. The message of the Good Samaritan is not, it's not that we try harder and we do better. I believe there's someone in here. I believe there's people in here this morning that, that think that, man, I can't come into the church. I can't come into the worship place because I feel like I'm all, I'm a mess. I feel like I'm broken. I feel like I'm hurt. I feel like I'm half dead. I feel like I, I need to get my stuff together before I come into this place. And, and the message this morning is, is, no, Jesus is actually coming for you. You're here now because Jesus is actually coming for you. He wants you in this place because he's saying, I'm I'm the good Samaritan. I'm the one that that I'm the one that's getting off of my horse so that I can I can meet you and I can heal you and I can I can bandage you up, I can put you in the place that you don't belong. That's my story. That's the gospel. That's that is the gospel that we believe as a as a church that that Jesus is that savior. But the gospel is that Jesus came and saved us and rescued us. We were the man that was beaten and half dead. We were the man that was beaten and half dead, that that maybe we were alive on the outside, but we were dead on the inside. By definition, we were half dead. Like I think he's portraying, he is putting it out there saying: here is the story. And I wanted to start this morning with this idea that, that this is the God, this is the message, this is what we believe. And maybe for a lot of us, maybe it's a reminder. Maybe it's a reminder that, that Jesus is the good Samaritan. And we the, the weight and the pressure and the, the 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 onus isn't on us to be the good Samaritan, but Jesus is saying, I've already, I'm, I'm already that. I'm already the good Samaritan. Or maybe there's someone in here that, this morning that, that you, you've never heard that. You've always thought that, well, church is just going to tell me I need to do better. I need to act better. I need to be nicer. I need to be, I, need to, I need to be more caring. I need to do. And I'm telling you this morning that Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. Before any of that comes, what I want to do is I want to meet with you. I want to know you. I, wanna, I want you to know me. I want you to, to, to experience and to love me first. And then we'll go from there. So the first, the first thing for us this morning is to know where Jesus is in the story. And so Jesus, I believe, as I've, as, as I've read scripture, as I've studied it, I believe Jesus is the good Samaritan. But the story doesn't end there. The story doesn't end there because the parable continues on. Because there's more to the story and if we go to Luke um, Luke 10, verse 23, there's more to the story. There's more going on in the story than we think. And so we, we, as I've read it, maybe you all are like me, every, every time I read it, I've read, like it's the lawyer and Jesus and they're just chatting and they're talking and they're hanging out and they're talking like the lawyers like, hey, I need to, but in Luke 10, verse 23, It says this, it says, And then Jesus, turning to the disciples, he said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see. If you don't know what's going on in this story, in Luke 10, what's happening is is that Jesus has just sent out the 72 disciples. He's like appointed these disciples to saying, hey, I'm going to appoint you two by two. What you're going to do is you're going to take my message and you're going to go and you're going to share the gospel. You're going to heal people. You're going to cast out demons. You're going to do all that. All of chapter 10 is, is him sending these 72 out, and then the 72 come back, and then they're back. And in verse 23, he says, then turning to the disciples who just got back, he said, Blessed are the eyes that, that you see what you see. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desire to see what you see and did not see it and hear what you hear and did not hear it. And behold, in the midst of the secret, the lawyer stands up and says, how do I inherit eternal life? So here's the picture is that you got a lawyer and you got the 72 others. So this isn't, a, this isn't a closed caption kind of a conversation. This is Jesus talking to the lawyer. But I believe that the other disciples are already there. So for some of us this morning, we might find ourselves as the lawyer saying, Hey, how do I receive Jesus? How you receive Jesus this morning is simple is you believe that Jesus has saved you. You believe that Jesus has come down and rescued you. You believe that there is no other way to the the Father. There's no other way to heaven except through Jesus, that we believe that if you believe that and you pray that and you accept that, then you are saved. And then the rest, there's some of us that are like, okay, I got that. That's me. I'm, I'm there with you. Well, guess what? The story doesn't end there. There's more to the story because I believe he's saying, Okay, 72, there's also a place for you. In the next line, verse 34 and verse 35, it says, the the Samaritan went to him, bound him up, his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and then set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him there. Why would Jesus, why would Jesus continue this story? That was the question I kept asking. It's like, the, the, the message is there. The gospel is clear. Like, it could have, we could have stopped it right there, and it was clear that he's saying, hey, lawyer, this is how you inherit eternal life. This is, this is it, is that there's a good Samaritan, there's a hero, there's a rescuer, there's a savior coming, and he's going to save you. He's going to do it. But he continues on, he says, but then he put him on the animal and took him to an inn. I'm wondering if, if maybe, maybe Jesus is actually setting up that, hey, disciples, we're new into this. We're new into this, this ministry. We're new into this ministry. And I don't know if I've told y'all yet or not, but I'm leaving. I'm going somewhere and, I'm, and I'm, gonna, I'm not gonna be here for a little while. And so what I'm gonna do is I'm gonna set this story so that there's a place that when I save people, when I rescue people, when I pull them out of their brokenness, there's a place that I can bring them and I can give them over to called the inn. I believe that the inn is actually the church and the church is the inn. And he's saying, hey, the, the, the church doesn't save people. Jesus saves people. That's, that we want to be clear about that, that there's nothing other than Jesus that saves people. But we as the church have a role in this as well. That Jesus is saying there's more to the story that yes, you will be saved, but then I'm also going to put you on my animal and I'm going to bring you somewhere in the meantime. I'm going to bring you somewhere in the meantime and they're going to, they're going to accept you and they're going to care for you and they're going to take care of you. So three observations for us is the church. And know that we is that when I say the church, I don't mean this building. I don't mean that it's just the, the, the staff or the pastors. I mean, it's us, that we are the church. You are. If you if you claim Jesus as your savior, then guess what? You are now the church. You are now the end. You are now on the hook for what is to come next. And so three observations three observations that that the in that we can do that we what, what can we do there's three observations the first one is this be near the broken be near the broken i don't know if you're aware but the road um, the road that Jesus alludes to the Jerusalem to Jericho and Jericho to Jerusalem that's a real road in this time, that's a real road that was very, very well known to the hearers of this story. They're very, very well known. He's not he's not just picking out like just some random. That's a very well known road that people would travel. And, 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 and the name of the road was actually the way of the blood or the way of blood because it was so dangerous, because it was, it was known, it was, it was just historically known for being a dangerous road that, that as travelers would go on, businessmen would go on, as, as people would wander down, they would get jumped, they would get beat up, they would get abused, they would get robbed, they'd be left for half dead. Like that's the story that, that is very, very, they would be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Yeah, 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 that makes sense. And the ends, the ends aren't made up either. There are inns that were very, it's a very real thing that, that these inns were actually stationed along the roads. Not just this one, but all over this, this time period, there were these small little inns. And their whole purpose was to give a respite for people as they were traveling. And so Jesus is setting us up with very, very well-known things. This isn't just um, made up. He's saying there's a, there are real things called the inn. And there's this road is real. And so they're like, okay, okay, cool, I, get, I, hear, I hear you. And it continues on. And, and so we as the church, we are to be near the broken. Our job, our mission, our mandate is that we are, we are near the broken. What I love about this in is that this isn't like the Holiday Inn, this isn't the resorts that are in the middle of town that, that are just there, but this, these are little bitty, uh, more like Airbnbs all over the city saying, hey, we're here, we're welcoming, we want you, we, we are here because we wanna be close to you. The broken do not wanna come find the church, the church goes and finds the broken, right? The church goes out and we are near the broken, the broken hearted, the broken spiritually, the broken emotionally, the broken uh, physically, we wanna be near the broken. Our job, our mandate is to be near people. So often we, 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 we find, we, we just can get into a rhythm of, of just kind of being at church. And then when, I, when we leave church, we're just like, all right, I'm gonna go to work now. No, no, we are the church. We, when we go to work, we're the church still. I love the great theologian Ariel from The Little Mermaid. She sang, "Um, I want to be where the people are, right? You ever heard that? Yeah. I know my Disney. I've actually not seen the whole movie, but um, she sings this. She's underwater. She's hiding. She's perfect. She's living in this underwater kingdom, right? Yeah. Um, But she wants to be where people are. That's our our heart. That's our mandate is we want to be. We came to Asheville, North Carolina to be close to the broken because this city and these people and this, this world needs the church. And so when we walk out of this building, we actually then become the church. When you walk out of this building, you become the church. We are gonna be near the broken. Next is, be able to care. Be able to care. The next day he took out two denarii and gave it to the innkeeper and said, take care of him and whatever more you spend, I will repay. Whatever more you spend, I will repay. To take care of someone is to put your affection and your direction of your mind towards that person or thing. I think so often what happens is that we, we get worried, and maybe it's just me, maybe I'm guilty of this, I don't know, but maybe we get worried that if we care too much as Christians, then the outside world will look in and be like, oh, they approve of it. You know what I mean? If we, if we care too much for the broken, if we care too much for the marginalized, if we care too much for whatever it may be, spiritual, what, if we care too much, my fear is, is that we get scared that, that people are going to be thinking, oh, they just must approve of that lifestyle or vote or direction of their life or whatever it may be. And that we get afraid that if we care too much, that we're going to be lumped into this sum of this, this place of, man, they must, they must approve. But what would it look like if the church, if we, if we were accused Just like Jesus was, that Jesus hung out with with tax collectors and lowlifes and prostitutes and and, and sinners, and he he hung out with those people so much so that the church, the the leadership of the church, turned on him. He said that 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 man cares too much. Does he approve? No. Jesus doesn't approve. Obviously, Jesus doesn't approve of, of sin. But what if we as the church? What if the we as the church would care so much that we cared till our hands bled? We cared till till it, just, till it hurt. We cared. We just cared. We don't have to fix people. We don't have to change people. We don't even have to convict people of their quote unquote sins. That's not even our job. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Our job is to care. I hope that the church of, I hope our church and the church in Asheville. I hope that Asheville sees us and says, "I don't know much about what they believe, but I do know one thing: is that they care." The man, the the Samaritan, gave two denarii to this innkeeper and said, "Take care of him. Take care of him." The other side of caring is is understanding that what we've been given was entrusted to us to take care of everyone else. I love it. I love how, I love how the, the Samaritan, um, how he did this. He, he gave two denarii to the innkeeper and saying, hey, what I'm giving you, disciples, what I'm giving you is I'm entrusting it to you so that you take care of my people so that you take care of the broken, so that you take care of the ones that are down and out. I'm giving this to you to take care of them. Yes, it's financial. It's amazing. It is financial. But what I love about it is we hear two denarii and we're like, cool, two denarii. It's a fake money. I don't know. It's not real. No, it is real. But uh, we just think, I don't know what that is. Two denarii equivalent today would be me walking into like the Holiday Inn and saying, Holiday Inn. Um, I address them by their company name. Um, here is $10,000. Take care of this person. And when I come back, I'll pay back anything else that that doesn't cover. He's saying, I'm giving you 10, 10 grand. This was enough for months and months and months of care. It's not like he was just saying, hey, here's a couple bucks that'll cover the week. He's saying, here's $10,000, give or take. Take care of him. How do we take care of someone as I feel like First, we realize what we've been given. We understand that what we've been given is extravagant. Yes, financial. Being born in America, it gives us this, just this, uh, this leg up. No matter where we are, we get that financially. Yes, we want to be giving, but also spiritually. Spiritually understanding what we have been given. Ephesians 2, 1 through 6, it's not up there, just, but just listen, it says, and you and me, we're dead in our trespasses and sins in which we once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now working in us, the spirit that is now at work is the spirit of the disobedience among whom we once lived. Carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature children of wrath. Verse 4, but God, rich in his mercy, rich in his love, rich in his great love, which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. And by grace, we have been saved. Church, we've got to understand what we've been given. We've been given two denarii, yes, financially, but we've been given way more than two denarii spiritually. Come on, if you're a Christian in here this morning, then you know that, that where you were is you were broken, beat, and left for half dead. You were left for dead until Jesus, the good Samaritan, showed up and said, hey, get up, get up, I want, you, I want you with me, but more than that, I'm gonna put you on my animal so that you're in my place, and I'm gonna take your place. And if we care for people, then we care that what we have, people are desperate for. People are desperate for for knowing that there is a Savior, that there is a God, that there is a a good Samaritan out there that is saying, hey, I want to heal you. I want to love you. I want to care for you. That's That's how he has responded and that's how he's interacted with me. And so if I'm aware of what I have, then I can care lavishly for everyone else. Let's Care for people. We'd be near the broken. We'd be able to care. And lastly is we'd be hope dealers. Hope dealers. Verse 35, it says, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay when I come back. Jesus is coming back. Amen. Jesus is coming back. And so we are now to be left to be hope dealers. How do, we ha- how do we be hope dealers unless we have hope? What is our hope? Our hope is is that Jesus is coming back, that Jesus is going to be coming back and he's going to be coming and rescuing and, and pulling us up. But, but hear me in my closing. Revelation twenty two twenty 20 says, and he who testifies to these things says, truly, surely, I am coming soon, amen, Lord, come, Jesus. Amen, come, Lord, Jesus. Come, Lord, Jesus is our hope, but hear me. Come, Lord, Jesus is not a license to have escape mentality. This does not give us the license to have escape mentality. Jesus did not save us so that we can wish away our days to say, just Lord, just take me, just take me now. No, he's saying, Lord, come Jesus, Lord, come Jesus is not escape mentality, but it's endurance mentality that we endure because we know that we've got the hope that Jesus is coming. And so we don't, we don't say, Lord, get me out of here. James, James Peter, no, Peter. Second Peter says that Jesus even delays his coming because he wants all people to come to know him. He wants all people to be saved. And so we don't wish away our days and say, Jesus, come quick. No, we say, we know you're coming. And so until you come, we're going to fight for every single soul. We're going to fight for every single broken person in this world because we know you're coming and we're going to bring as many people with us as we can. And so church, we, we are hope dealers. We're not hoping away the, the, our days, but we are hoping, we, we, we live in the hope that we know Jesus is coming soon. And so we're gonna say, hey, we're gonna bring as many people with us as we can. We're gonna love we're gonna love people as much as we can. We're gonna, we're gonna care for people. We're gonna be near them. We're gonna be walking with people because we know that Jesus is coming. That's our endurance. That's our endurance is, is that Jesus is coming, not our escape. We don't wanna escape, we're here for a purpose. We're here to, to fight till the end for every single one of our people that we love, for all the people that we see that are broken and, and without hope. We give them hope. We are hope dealers this morning. I want us to, to close and I want to pray for, I feel like there's some people in here that you're the lawyer and that's okay. We're glad you're here. We do this because of you. We want you here. And you're the lawyer this morning and you come in and you're like, you know, I've never, I've never experienced Jesus like this. I've never experienced the good Samaritan to where he actually has saved me and rescued me. I've never experienced that, but, but I want to this morning. I want, I want to know that, that I am saved. I want to know that I am his this morning. If that's you this morning with every head bowed and eyes closed, I just want us to pray. I want you to pray with me that if that's you this morning, you can pray this prayer with me or you can pray something similar in your own words. But Jesus, I need you. You are, you are a good Father, Lord. And I need to know that. I need to know that you love me this morning. Lord, I trust you. I know that you are the one and only Son of God, Lord. I, I ask that you would come into my heart. You would rescue me. You would save me. And if you believe this in your heart this morning, that Jesus promises us, he promises us in his word that you are saved, that you are brought into his family. That is is what it is. That's the extent of it. The rest of it we'll figure out together. With every head bowed, eyes closed still. If that's you this morning, I'm just going to, put it out there. If that's you this morning and you want to put your hand up and just let me know real quick because I want to walk with you in this. I want to walk with you in this. I want to get you plugged into community. And if you prayed that prayer this morning, just just shoot your hand up just real quick and look at me. Jesus. Yes, Jesus. Now I'm going to pray for the rest of us. As I'm praying, I want you to be thinking how, what, what are your steps as the church? Where are you? Are you supposed to be leading a life group this semester? Are you supposed to be creating community for people? Let the Holy Spirit lead you and teach you and, 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 and reveal things to you. I'm gonna pray for us as the church. Lord, I thank you, Lord that we are your church, Lord, that we are your your people. We are your plan A for this world, Lord. I pray that we would be hope dealers today, Lord, that we would be be endurance-based hope dealers that are saying, hey, we know you're coming and we want to live in that, Lord. We want to fight for people that are broken. We want to fight for people that don't know you. Jesus, we want you to be the good Samaritan to everyone, Lord, and we want to help. Jesus, I ask that you would you would change, you would you would convict us now as your church, Lord. Convict us in what we need to do in next steps. We need to know where to go, Lord. We love you. Lord, we love you. We worship you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.